Welcome back again to the second part of Come and See Inspirations. My name is John Keeley, still joined by Shane Ambrose. A little bit later than normal, but Shane said we can't miss the opportunity. Um, we're going to bring you, well, Shane's going to actually bring us um, a few little items about what happened in 2021 around the Catholic world and looking forward to 2022. So, as I say, Shane, better late than never. Hi, yes, we normally do this kind of the middle of January, um, but things kind of got away from us slightly. So, yeah, so the idea is we'll do church year in review. So the tradition for this grew out of when you have the new year, you know, on the television, or on the radio, people do the year in review from a political point of view. They do the sports year in review. So a couple of years ago, we decided, well, we'll do a church year in review. So what we're going to do is I'm going to go very quickly through a couple of things just to remind people or tell people about things that happened in 21 from a church perspective, and then look ahead to 22, what are some of the big things that might be coming up? So we're going to break this into two parts. So 2021. So I'm going to take you off on a magic carpet, and we are firstly going to go to Roma. So we're starting at the papal level, and then we'll come back to Ireland, okay? So okay. 2021 was a bit, no, well, actually, before I talk about the Pope himself, 2021 was a very sad year in one respect. One of, the, one, of the, one of the things I always like to mention when we do the church year review is to echo the report which is done by FIDES, which is the, the, the international uh, media group, uh, who track these things. And unfortunately, in 2021, 22 Catholic missionaries were killed um, throughout the world. 13 priests, one religious brother, two religious sisters, and six lay people. 11 were killed in Africa, predominantly Nigeria, South Sudan, Burkina Faso, Car, Uganda, and Angola. Seven were killed in the Americas, so that's four in Mexico, then Haiti, Peru, and Venezuela. There was three killed in Asia, so that's one in the Philippines, and three, sorry, there's four killed in Asia, that's one in the Philippines, and three in Myanmar. And then one died in France. Um, as well. So that was, uh, and they're only the official statistics. They're not taking into account there were 16 catechists killed in fighting in South Sudan during the year. But um, this is mainly these 22 missionaries, um, I wouldn't quite so far to say martyrs for the faith, but you know, you, in, the cause of, in the cause of faith in many respects, and just that they should be remembered as we look back at the year in review. <clears throat> so Moving on to things a bit more congenial and maybe cheery, uh, let's to see what were the main things that came up for the Holy Father? What things did he get up to during 2021? And despite COVID, the Pope had actually a very, very busy year. Um, and now some of it was a bit more dealing with nuts and bolts of how things run. Um, but we'll get to that in a second. So there were obviously the highlight for the year, of course, there was a number of them. First things up was the Pope's papal trips. So 2021, despite the, or in spite of the COVID lockdown, the Pope made three particular trips. Um, one was to Iraq and the other was to Slovakia, Hungary and to Lesbos, Greece, Cyprus and Greece. So, of course, the first trip was the pilgrimage to Iraq, which happened in March. And it was, it's been regarded as the trip, the D trip of the pontificus, the first by a pope to the Middle Eastern region. Now, John Paul II had tried to go to Iraq a number of years ago, but wasn't able to manage it. So Pope Francis continued the trip. Iraq, of course, very much in, from a Christian point of view, very important because it's seen, of course, as the birthplace of Abraham. So very much the birthplace of the Abrahamic faiths, that's Judaism, Christianity and Islam. 
but also from a Christianity point of view, has some of the oldest Christian communities in the world which have suffered severely due to the conflicts that have arisen in that part of the world. And they are, you know, some of the oldest Christian communities which have been dispersed around the planet so that actually the numbers of Christians in Iraq and that part of the world has drastically reduced. Obviously, the trip, slightly hazardous, aside from COVID. Pope was going to Iraq at the end of the day. But he went, uh, visited a number of key places. Uh, so Baghdad, the city of Korakesh. And he also had a visit to Ayatollah Ali al-Sistani. Now, this guy is important because he's a very pivotal figure in Shiite Islam. Now, trying to explain Islam to people, there's two branches of Islam. There's Sunni Islam and there's Shia Islam. Sunni Islam is what we associate predominantly with Saudi Arabia. And Shia is Islam is what we associate very much with Iran and parts of Iraq. This gentleman that the Pope left or met is regarded as a, uh, I won't say the word guru, but he's a, he's a revered figure within the Shia tradition. Not quite, I wouldn't go so far to say he's the equivalent of a Pope, um, but he would be kind of up there. He's a very, very important religious leader. So you have this very interesting photograph of the two of them. Um, um, Ayatollah Ali al-Sastini in black, you know, and Pope Francis obviously in his traditional white, and both of them sitting down, and both of them looking very stern and talking to each other. But it was it was a very important meeting um, that took place because Pope Francis has made huge outreaches to the Islamic world as well. Um, so that was his trip to Iraq, and that was from the fifth to the eighth of March. Then he went on. He was a visit to Slovakia. And that was in September, um, where the Pope very much once again spoke about the blasphemy of using religious a religion to imperil human dignity and to kill people. Um, he's very much then also echoed that um, he, he went to Slovakia and also a quick visit to Hungary for the uh, International Eucharistic Congress, which would be held in Budapest. Uh, then in December, he went to Greece and Cyprus and once again visited the, the, the refugee centre at Lesbos. The Pope has been there a number of times to highlight the plight of refugees, particularly those across the Mediterranean, and to highlight the travel, the difficulty that they have in making that journey and the dangers that that encounter. From this limbo at the gates of Europe, after having looked into the eyes of the wounded flesh of men, women and children, Pope Francis's voice resounded forcefully. Let us not allow our sea, our Mara Nostrum, to be transferred into a desolate sea of death, Mare Mortum. So that was his message from Lesbos. Uh, other things the Pope got up to during the year, there was a lot of reforms that have been done. And Pope Francis, of course, was elected in 2013 on a reform agenda by the, by the Cardinals. So this year, he, um, he issued a number of changes in the area of pastoral, financial, and judicial responsibilities. Now, a lot of this is dealing with the day-to-day -day workings of the Curia in Rome. So the Curia in Rome is the departments in Rome of the bureaucracy that help the Pope run things around the church. And there is, a, there is an agreement that says, like any bureaucracy, it needs to be reformed. And there is a new constitution for the reform of the, of the Curia, which is due to be published. Now, the Pope has been working on this for about seven years. We're not quite sure what the delay is. It's, we even know it's called Predictate Evangelium, and it replaces a previous one published by John Paul II called Pastor Bonus. So we're still waiting for that to be published, and that's going to reform how the Curia operates and how, it, how the bureaucracy runs. 
Other things that he did, of course, he issued, um, uh, he changed the canon law so that lecturers and acolytes are, can now be any baptized member of the faith, which we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Then he also signed out uh, changes to the code of canon law in terms of punishment that can be applied in canon law. And this is something which had come up previously because when they were discussing about the child sexual abuse scandal in Ireland and in the US, one of the criticisms that was leveled at the church was aside from not reporting it to the civil authorities, at the time there was a tendency not to enforce the canonical penalties as well. So that was one of the things that led to the reform of what's called Book 4 of the Code of Canon Law. That was published in May, 23rd of May. Uh, as well as that, it was also interesting, the Vatican is under pressure from a financial point of view. So in March, the Pope cut the salaries of the cardinals, the superiors and the religious that work in the Vatican. Um, so that was an interesting uh, choice of action. He also introduced anti-corruption clampdowns, which is making its way through the system. And then also in May, he established the Ministry of Catechists, again, something we discussed last week on the program we did on Sunday of the Word of God. Um, so that was done. And of course, in July, he published Tradiciones Custodes, which was the restrictions of the celebration of the liturgies using the 1962 uh, liturgical books. It was an interesting year, of course, and this is something that's going to come up in 2022 again, is the trials that are currently happening before the Vatican tribunals. There was two main cases. One was alleged sexual abuse in the St. Pius X pre-seminary, which used to be within the Vatican city-state, uh, but that led to the acquittal of the two defendants. And then there's the ongoing trial for the alleged financial wrongdoing concerning funds from the Secretariat of State, which involves the previous cardinal, to say the least, and there are nine other defendants on trial. It's something which will make a brilliant movie one of the days when, they, when it all comes out in the wash, because there are so many twists and turns to it. Myself and John were talking about what I actually discussed the Vatican trial, and I said to John, no. I said, we could be here for two days. I can barely pronounce some of the names, and to try and explain it all to people, you're just going to lose them. But it's an interesting one. One to keep an eye on. Um, there's a lot of expectation about it, but it can all end up as a bit of a damp squib. Um, but we'll have to wait and see what happens. So basically, in the center of it is skullduggery that went on or alleged to have gone on around the use of funds for investments in London and the purchase of a building and all sorts of shenanigans that people are alleged to have got up to. It's an interesting one because it very much reinforces the view taken by the former uh, secretary for the um, economy, Cardinal Pell, that there needs to be serious reform of the financial management of some parts of the Vatican, which of course was started under Pope Benedict XVI and which Pope Francis is continuing. Also with Pope Francis in 2021, the reminder that he did have surgery. Now, obviously he's had, a, he's had an up and down year from a medical point of view. We all know that the Pope has only one lung, which is why they were so worried about him from a COVID point of view, and which he didn't really appreciate because he referred to the restrictions that were put on him. He was caged in the Vatican. He didn't really like not being able to get out and meet people. But I suppose you have, it has to be practical. The man is, what, 85, 86 years of age, and he does have one lung. Uh, you know, so you don't really want the Pope getting COVID. Uh, despite the fact quite a number of cardinals have got COVID, I think the last running count was seven or eight of them have had it. All of them, thankfully, have recovered. Um, but it's just a little bit worrying. It's also obviously spread in the Vatican city-state itself, Swiss members of the Swiss Guard, members of the lay staff. So it's all it's, it's there as well. But obviously, Pope Francis suffered, it's, it suffers extensively from sciatica, and that did cause a problem during the year. 
So we saw it at the beginning of the year for the New Year's Day celebrations in 2021. We also saw it for New Year's Day 2022 because he wasn't able to lead some of the ceremonies and had to delegate it. Now, what was interesting about the ceremonies in New Year's Eve and New Year's Day 2022, he delegated it to a man who's actually older than himself, which I thought was slightly interesting. That's the way way things go. You know, if the boss says jump, you have to say how high. Um, Obviously, then, of course, the Pope had surgery in July at the Gemelli in Rome. And he had 33 centimeters of his colon taken out, uh, suffering from, I, I, one second now, I'll find the terminology, diverticulitis, I think, diverticular stenosis is what they call this. Sorry, diverticular stenosis. I have no idea what that, John, is. I only know that it required that he had to have some of his colon cut out. Um, so obviously he's still recovering from that surgery. Uh, it was interesting. He had an interview uh, with a Spanish radio station after that, and they asked him, had he considered retiring or resigning like Benedict XVI did? And he was very firm in his, annun- his announcement. He said, no, nope, the talk never even crossed his mind. So that's, uh, and obviously, of course, then the big thing, uh, the two other big things with Pope Francis in 2021, one was, of course, the convoking of the Synod on Synodality, which opened in St. Peter's with a mass on the 10th of October. So this is one of the, potentially is one of the biggest things to happen with the church since the Second Vatican Council in the 1960s. So the call from Pope Francis that the church, the Synod should not become a church convention, a study group or a political gathering. It should not be a parliament but rather a grace-filled event, a process of healing guided by the Holy Spirit. And then, of course, the other things, I suppose, that really were on the tip of the tongue with the Pope during 2021, vaccines. The Pope has been a very strong advocate and reminding people of their Christian duty to get vaccinated. And that's actually the terminology that he's used, Christian duty out of love to get vaccinated for yourself and for your neighbour. Obviously, the the common themes are his focus on the climate, very much echoing his encyclical, Laudato Si. His focus on peace, very much, of course, as we've seen recently with the call of the day for prayer for peace in the Ukraine, but also focused on Yemen, on Qatar, on South Sudan, on Lebanon as another place where the Pope's particular focus is peace in 2021. And obviously, of course, his reminder of the responsibilities of the world to have to those who are poor and refugees. So that was a quick run through um, our papal things for 2021, John. Uh, other things in 2021, to bring it, up, I suppose, a bit closer to home, what was going on in Ireland in 2021 from church point of view? Well, obviously, the main focus was COVID and the COVID restrictions. And actually, it was interesting going back through the paper and going back online to the news, the news stories at the time. Um, new Year's Day, New Year's Eve didn't start off great for Catholics in Ireland in 2021 because we had that abysmal sketch that was supposed to be funny on the RTE New Year's Eve program, if people might remember. And even there were led for calls of boycott of the license fee. Eventually, there was an apology and RTE removed us from its player uh, and took it down and apologized for it. Obviously, then throughout February and March, the big issue was COVID and the restrictions that were on the celebration of public liturgies, particularly coming up to Easter. And we ended up celebrating Easter, I'm afraid, behind our screens again last year. 
Uh, March in Ireland was the announcement of the Irish National Synod's beginning, the process that's beginning. It's going to take five years. Now, it's going to link in with the Pope's Synod, but this is standalone for the Irish Church. And it's something which we will obviously be dipping more into in 2022 as things kick off. So we will come back to that story. Uh, April last year, one of the big things April last year was the increase in the interest of the story of St. Clair Crocker. Now, people might remember this was the sister, the, the religious sister from Derry, who was working in Ecuador and she got killed during an earthquake rescue or guiding children out of the building they were in in 2016. So there's a huge level of interest in her story and there's a push to try and open her cause for canonization. So that's Sister Claire Crocker. That's something John and myself, we've been talking about. We might try and come back to again in the program at some stage throughout 2022. Uh, May last year, of course, the big thing was we were back to public liturgies with the lifting of some of the restrictions, although we did have limits on the numbers. Uh, and it was interesting at the time, the government also asked bishops to postpone the celebration of First Holy Communions and confirmations. In July, the big news that was there, or one of the news items that was there, was the death of Father Stan Swamy. He was a Jesuit priest, he was 84, he was an Indian man, and he died in prison. And he died in prison awaiting trial on charges of sedition in India. Now, the reason this story made international news was, A, because he died in prison, he was 84 years of age, and he wasn't really being looked after. But second of all, because it is an, an example of the stories of Christian persecution that are happening in India at the moment. And it was a worrying trend due to the rise of extremist Hindu nationalists who currently hold government in India as well. So it's an area that we'll keep an eye on to see how it goes in 2022 as well. Um, in September, the other interesting thing in September last year was suddenly this letter from the, church, the, the, the government looking for the church to hand over spare land to help alleviate the housing crisis. And it was interesting, the responses that came out from the likes of Brother Kevin and Father Peter McVeary basically telling the government off because they have sufficient land if it was only used properly. Uh, to deal with the housing crisis. Uh, also in September, it was the centenary of Frank Duff, the founder of the Legion of Mary. And we did a program on Frank Duff, or we mentioned him on a program going back in the autumn there as well, if people wanted to listen back. Uh, also, of course, there was the kerfuffle with Pope, uh, Pope, sorry, with President Higgins. And would he, would he, would he not attend the, the, the event in Armagh commemorating the establishment of Northern Ireland? Um, which in the end, the president didn't, didn't, uh, didn't attend. And finally, we ended the year on a slight bit of controversy in November when the leader of the Labour Party resorted to polemics against Catholics and told us that we should get out of education. And oddly enough, that wasn't quite discussed and challenged in the public media. Not quite sure why, but anyway, that's an interesting one that we'll keep an eye on as we head into 2022. So John, while I catch my breath and get a drink of water, that's what I'll run through 2021 as year in review, very quick, I'll admit. Uh, but we'll just take a piece of music before we talk about what potentially could be coming up in 2022. Well, quick, but it was certainly very, very comprehensive, Shane. Thanks a lot for that. Um, just wondering what to play after that. And I think, I think the, the, the piece of music maybe that I've chosen is probably uh, just up for it. It's, in, it's sung by the Integrity Worship Singers, and this one is entitled, We Are One Body. 
So we'll listen to this and come back, and Shane's going to share with us what he thinks might be happening, I assume, in 2022.
So, welcome back to the second part of the second part of part two <laughs> at our church, our church here Sounds in review. Sounds good. So, what we're actually doing now is we're taking out the uh, the crystal ball just to see what are the things that might come up as stories in the next 12 months. And one of the reasons we do this on the podcast is kind of, it's kind of to say to people, brace yourself. <laughs> it's not going to be all roses in the garden when it comes to news reportage. But also, I suppose one of the things, one of the important things to say to people is when you are looking at stories, um, particularly things that cover the Pope or things he says, context is everything. People might remember there in, in, in early in January, there was a whole kerfuffle about the Pope and pets and children. And if you actually read what he said, the reporting missed the point completely. Um, so it's always important. Context is everything when you're looking at things like that. So a couple of things that might come up in 2022. So first of all, John, did you know that we're going to have another Jubilee? It depends on which way you spell it. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, of course, there is the Jubilee in England because of Her Majesty the Queen celebrates it 70 years or 75 years. Yeah, so no, but I was, I was actually referring to a, the Jubilee in the Catholic Church. So we are actually due to have a jubilee year in 2025. So Pope Francis has announced and has given responsibility to the Pontifical Commission for the promote, for the new evangelization to start organizing the jubilee year. Now the jubilees happen once every 25 years. The last big jubilee we had was Jubilee 2000. People will remember those iconic pictures of the frail Pope John Paul II pushing open the holy doors of the patriarchal basilicas in Rome, and particularly the, the you know that that multicolored shining cope he wore as he opened the door. I think it's in St. John Lateran or Peter outside the walls. But anyway, we have Jubilee years every 25 years. They're a special year of pilgrimage and faith. They started around 1300. That's when they were, and they did, they build on the Judaic tradition of Jubilee years every seven, seven years. And um, they were inaugur- they're generally inaugurated with the opening of the Holy Door at St. Peter's, then one in St. John Lateran, St. Mary Major, and St. Paul-, Paul outside the walls. And the next one will be in 2025, and the theme is going to be Pilgrims of Hope. Now, it's an, in- it's an interesting one. The, the, the Jubilee year is, the last one was actually 2015. We had an extraordinary Jubilee for the Year of Mercy, which people will remember. And Pope Francis authorized bishops to have their own Holy Doors in the cathedrals around around the world of people we remember and we had our own holy door to the side of St. John's in, in Limerick so we're wondering to see will they do the same thing for the Jubilee in 2025 it'll also be an interesting year because 2025 is the 1700th anniversary of the holding of the Council of Nicaea the first Council of Nicaea now you'll say Shane what the hell is that all about Nicaea is important folks because you every time you go to mass on a Sunday and you say your creed you are reciting the Nicene Creed, which was promoted and programmated at the First Council of Nicaea in 425 AD. So we're celebrating the 1700s, or, or, um, sorry, it's 325, 1700s uh, anniversary of the Council in 2025 as well. And the assumption is it's also going to be a huge year for ecumenical endeavours because it's something which is common to all of the churches. All of the main Christian denominations still profess belief and adherence to the first seven ecumenical councils, which includes Nicaea. Um, it's also been interesting to see whether or not they would be encouraging pilgrimages, pilgrims to go to Rome for the Jubilee or whether they'd be encouraging people to stay more at home. So we'll have to wait and see. 
It's an interesting one also to note because in 2033, now I know it's a bit away, a couple of years down the line, but 2033 is going to be the 2000th anniversary, obviously, of the death and passion of Jesus Christ. Now, we know it's not quite, you know, 33 AD, but that's the year we normally go with. The last, the last big celebration was in 1983, when Pope John Paul II had his extraordinary jubilee to celebrate the milestone then. So we have a couple of these coming up. Other things that are coming up in the year ahead, we'll have to see what happens with papal trips. So there's a question mark whether or not Pope Francis will meet with the Patriarch of Russia, who is the head of the Russian Orthodox Church, and with potentially that meeting to take place either in Finland or Kazakhstan. Now, given the violence recently in Kazakhstan, I'm assuming that's now off the list. Um, but it'll be interesting to see if it happens in the first or second quarter. One of the challenges, of course, is it will depend what happens with the Ukraine, because very much the Russian Orthodox Church is, uh, how would I put this, it's sometimes seen as being the chaplain to President Putin. There's a very close, interconnected relationship between the Kremlin and the Orthodox Church in Russia. So it does pose a challenge for the Vatican if they want to meet with the, uh, the patriarch to promote ecumenical endeavours. There's also a possibility that Pope Francis will go to Spain in 2022, and in particular to Santiago de Compostela, to celebrate the 40th anniversary of John Paul II's message to Europe, and that would happen in August if it takes place. There's a potential trip to Canada in September, and the focus of that trip will very much be around the relationship with the Catholic Church, with the indigenous communities, First Nation communities in Canada and their involvement with the schools uh, where abuses were said are alleged and are actually happened, not just alleged. And there is the request, of course, from the apology to come from Pope Francis for those things. Also, other countries which have potentially been looked at for possible trips in 2022, India, South Sudan, East Timor, Indonesia, Papua New Guinea, the Ukraine and Lebanon. Now, if the Pope visits all of those, he's not going to spend any time in Rome. Uh, Canonizations that are coming up are events like that that we should pay attention to in 2022. First of all, there is the canonization in May <coughs> of Charles de Foucault. Now, we've mentioned Charles before in the program, an interesting saint, a hermit who died, a French hermit who died in Algeria and whose message of simplicity is one for the world. There's also going to be the beatification of John Paul I, that's the smiling Pope, and that's scheduled in Rome for September the 4th. Also in Rome this year, on around the 25th to 26th of June, we have the celebration of the World Meeting of Families, which is the 10th World Meeting of Families. Now, people might remember this was celebrated in Dublin four years ago, five years ago, um, so with, and which, when Pope Francis came to visit for the closing Mass. So it's, uh, that's been celebrated in Rome this year. Uh, it'd be interesting to see what happens, of course, with Benedict XVI, the Pope Emeritus. The man is very frail, physically, that is. Um, however, it seems mentally he's very witted. A lot of the reports that are coming out of the monastery in the Vatican where he lives. He turns 96 in April. His birthday is actually April the 16th, which is the Easter Vigil. Very appropriate, actually. Pope Benedict has a great love and devotion to the Easter ceremonies because he was born, actually, on Holy Saturday uh, in the year that he was born. So he has a particular devotion to the celebration of Easter and the Easter ceremonies, and he's 96 this year. We wait and see whether or not he makes it as far as that milestone. As I said, he is extremely weak physically, so we'll have to wait and see. 
I've been predicting a papal funeral for the last three years. He still hasn't. <laughs> he still hasn't. <laughs> he still hasn't uh, <laughs> popped his pants. <laughs> but either way, when it, whenever it does happen, we are going to see history. It will be the first time you will see a reigning pontiff celebrate the funeral of his predecessor. So it's going to be one just to, it'll be history in the making whenever it does happen. Finally then, as I said, there will be a consistory for the creation of cardinals. Ten cardinals lost their voting rights in the conclave to elect the next pope. Now, why is this important? It is important because at this stage, Pope Francis will have appointed the majority of the cardinals who will elect his successor. So the 10 men that are losing their voting rights are the Cardinal in Santiago in Chile, Mexico City, San Salvador, Bogota in Colombia, Archbishop, the Archbishop Emeritus of Paris. And the interesting one is Oscar Rodriguez Maradiga, who is the Cardinal Archbishop in Honduras. Now, it's interesting, he's losing his voting right because he's actually a member of the Pope's Advisory Council of Cardinals, the Council of Eight, as they are called. So these guys all lose their voting rights. They're still cardinals. They just can't vote in the conclave anymore. So the Pope, who has very much prioritized appointing cardinals on the peripheries, will have a chance to appoint at least 10 new cardinals to the, con to the, counts, to the, to the, to the College of Cardinals. So that will occur at some stage throughout 2022. And then, so that's kind of, John kind of the main things that we're keeping an eye out. From an Irish point of view, obviously we're waiting to see what happens with our own synod and how that kicks off now that we're in the situation where COVID restrictions have been lifted. Obviously COVID is still out there, so we're not quite sure how that's going to work out. And then there's the whole challenge of learning in the Irish church context. What was things that worked well for us during COVID and that we should keep? And what lessons did we learn about things that maybe are not so important that we need to review and reflect on? as we journey ahead as the Hubble Day, the people of God. Shane, thanks a lot again for that now. I mean, that's certainly something for us to be thinking about. And with that, we might go for our piece of, a second, third piece of music just to finish off this section of the podcast. Um, this one is by Monica Brown, and this one is entitled Lead Me, Guide Me. So come back and join us again in part three, where we'll read and reflect on the Sunday Gospel. Lead me, guide me. 